0: Dickel's Leadership and Strategy Podcast, bringing you authentic conversations with leaders about their approach to leadership and their organization's strategy for success. Welcome to the Leadership and Strategy Podcast. This is Tad Dickel, your host, And I'm here today with Jeremy Evans, the executive director of the Dream Center. Yeah. Uh, Jeremy, tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah. So uh, I am from a little town outside of Peoria, Illinois. Went to college at Bradley University for my undergrad in psychology and uh, was a member of a music fraternity uh, in college and uh, was recruited to work there in an entry-level position back in 2001. Um, And... Was there for a year and then left for a little while, came back, ended up working there for about 10 years um, and left there as executive director. My uh, wife, Tara, and I have three kids, Lucy, Ellie, and Ben. Uh, When Lucy was born, uh, she suffered a brain injury and was life-flighted to Raleigh Hospital. And we stayed at the Ronald McDonald House in Indianapolis for two weeks. And so when the position of executive director of the Ronald McDonald House came open, it only made sense for our family to apply for the role. Uh, Spent about two years there and fabulous organization. They do wonderful, amazing work wanted our family to be more mission and ministry focused. And so back in 2015, I took the role here at the Dream Center and I've been here for about 8 years.
0: Great. Tell us a little bit about the Dream Center.
1: Yeah. So, uh, Dream Center Evansville was founded in 1998. Our founder Gary Jossa was a visionary leader who wanted to do great things for the Jacobsville neighborhood. And so, it started out as a sort of van ministry that would bring kids to various churches in Evansville before we had our current facilities. Uh, Back in 2007, um, we built the gym building, which is the building we're sitting in today. That building is a gymnasium and then several small classrooms. And I often say that uh, Dream Center uh, started out sort of like an after-school program that smelled a little bit like a community center. We would do trunk or treats and Christmas presents and Easter egg hunts and things like that. Um, And when I came on board in 2015, I was the first full-time executive director. And uh, I often like to say that for my first uh, three years... I would work from 8 to 6.30 every day, and I would work from 8 to 2.30 doing executive director stuff, and then from 2.30 to 6.30, I would sling pizza and do homework and play basketball and drive vans, because at that time, we were very small, and uh, everybody was involved in making program work. I fired myself from that role in 2018, spring of 2018, because I was not very good at it, and in spring of 2018, started to experience some shifts in terms of what we wanted to do as an organization. Again, it was a great after-school program with several different community-focused elements, but we started to see what we call second-generation Dream Center kids, who were kids who came to the Dream Center, who were now sending their kids to the Dream Center, not because they loved our program, but because they were in the same weird situation that their parents were in. And what we've learned is that relief-based programming is not enough to break the cycle of generational poverty. In fact, relief-based programming often perpetuates the cycle of generational poverty by making it easier to be poor. And so in 2018, a group of 13 community business and nonprofit leaders, education leaders, went and visited the Harlem Children's Zone in Harlem, New York, and learned from the revolutionary educators at Harlem all about the work that they do. They take responsibility for their kids' success. They don't operate inside a box. They do whatever it takes to help kids be successful. And so when we got back from Harlem, um, we started a four-block pilot program where we said, we're still going to play, have 100 kids in the gym during after school, but we're going to identify kids who live in these four blocks and say that these are kids who are taking responsibility for their success. And so we found eight elementary school kids who lived in the four blocks. It was really a pilot program, um, and we really didn't see it overtaking everything we do. But today, it is everything we do. We do um, youth development. So we have uh, staff who are in school during the day, and then here at the Dream Center and after school programming, Um, We do family development. So we are uh, assigning every family we work with what we call a wraparound care specialist. Those staff members are helping families uh, defeat the burdens in their lives, right? They're helping them knock down the barriers that are blocking them from being successful. Um, And then we also have an element of neighborhood revitalization where we have a neighborhood champion, neighborhood development coordinator who is working in the neighborhood every day to meet neighbors and connect neighbors to our vision and really to help their vision come to reality. So all those ideas wrapped together to come up with an idea we call flourishing. Um, and I often don't speak much about the ministry component of our work, but ministry and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the reason we do all that we do. And every single day in our programs, kids are getting taught the gospel. Great.
0: Well, thank you, Jeremy. Yeah. That's, a, that's a lot of information it's a, it's about the Dream was. Center. Yeah, I, I've seen the Dream Center do great work in our community, and we appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. So one of the distinctions you made was about, relief-based programs versus, would we call this more of like a systemic approach?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Holistic. John, who works for us, says whole child support. There's a reason why when you ask Walmart if you can do a food drive outside their store, there's a reason why they say yes every single time. And that reason is because you buy more stuff. People who are coming into the store who know there's a need buy more stuff and Walmart makes more money. We see time and time again, people who are dependent on social programs, nonprofit programs, those sorts of things. And what we're really trying to do is to build family independence, right? So that they know how to solve their own problems. We're building agency in them. And we're discovering the beautiful strengths of the families and people and kids that we serve and helping to bring those things to light to give kids and families more of a future. Another way that this work is often described, it's sort of an in vogue term in Evansville today is two-gen approach, um, where we're not just working with kids, but we're also working with their parents as well, because we know that the very best way to change the course of a child's life is to change their parents' lives. And, and part of the reason probably we have so many relief based programs in in our
0: country and, and communities throughout the world is because they're they're, they're fairly simple, yes, to create mm-hmm. and to, to understand. but I imagine creating a more holistic approach like this where you're in some ways you're trying to prevent absolutely and create a pathway to more independence. It's much more complex than, yeah.
1: than other approaches. It's very easy to hand somebody a $20 bill. Um, it's harder to help them brainstorm ways to solve their own problem. And I think if we're honest, oftentimes we do relief work uh, because it makes us feel good. There's It's no knock on relief work. That work is desperately needed, but it's a means to an end rather than just the end, right? We're, we do relief work in in some areas as a means of building trust, right? We always say that, The first time a family needs something, you got to win for them so that they'll build trust, which is really, really important. Sure. I
0: imagine in your role, you think about leadership a lot. Absolutely, yes. And so I'd like you to tell our listeners a little bit about your approach to leadership or how that was formed.
1: So we have a mutual friend who was and is a mentor of mine who has helped me build my approach to leadership. Um, You know, uh, it's a lot of catchphrases, I guess you might say. One of the things that I've learned very early on was don't believe your own hype, earning it every single day, never feeling like you've really arrived, you know? So um, constantly consuming new content, trying to learn more about leadership, trying to refine my leadership focus. I also, uh, this leader I was talking about just a moment ago is, uh, has this great quote where he says, when things speed up, slow down. So trying not to get caught up in the whirlwind of daily life, Taking a step back and reviewing things objectively, letting emotion run its course and be part of the conversation as it will, um, has been really helpful to me. In this most recent cycle, I've had to really challenge myself to devote time to thinking, to devote time to just processing everything that's going on. Because of um, some of the things that have been going on in our community recently, I feel like 1% not smart enough to really wrap my head around everything that we're working on. There's this idea of conscious conscious incompetence, where you know you don't know everything you need to know to be successful. and That's, that I, that's kind of the area I want to live in. And so finding time to be intentional about thinking and, and focused on thinking has been important. I would also say finding ways to eliminate decisions, um, to get myself out of the way of decisions as much as possible. So I actually don't have an office here at the Dream Center. I work primarily out of the co-work space in downtown Evansville. And um, I did that because I was getting pulled into every single decision just because I was there, right? So the story I always tell about this is um, a staff member came up to me once and said, should we have our titles on our name tags? And because you asked me that question and because I have an opinion about that question, I'm going to tell you what my opinion is. And so I said, yes, I think they should be on the name tags. And this person said, well, I don't think they should. And we stood around arguing about for five minutes and I realized, who cares? (laughs) Like, (laughs) why am I devoting leadership energy to this? Whatever you want is fine. Whatever you want is fine. And so now being a little bit remote has allowed me to pull out of a lot of those um, decisions And, you know, um, Derek Stewart from the YMCA taught me this trust but verify, right? So, you know, I come around when I need to and I check in and make sure things are running smoothly, Um, but I really try to pull myself out of as many decisions as possible. And then I'll tell you one other um, tool that I've started to use recently, which is that if, if you have not booked your meeting with me by Tuesday, it has to be next week. As a fundraiser, we are often sort of subtly encouraged or implicitly encouraged to take every meeting you can possibly get. So that you can get, and you know this from um, selling yourself, Uh, you know you can't miss. You can't. You you just can't operate um, missing those opportunities. And so, I had to realize that um, meeting Jeremy was causing an awful lot of trouble for Office Jeremy. That Office Jeremy was never getting around to because he was too busy hanging out in coffee shops talking to interesting people. And so, for me, if you're not on my calendar by Tuesday, it's got to be next week. Has been really helpful to be able to take a deep breath and not always rush to jump on every single opportunity.
0: Sure. And so as the organization has grown Mm -hmm. and you've moved from almost being the executive director slash programs, Mm -hmm. (laughs) programs coordinator, director, how would you say your leadership then has evolved over the last eight years?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that the way I lead the organization has become much more important as time has gone on and as we've grown, So just to give you some context for growth. When I started, we were a $450,000 a year organization. Today, we have a $1.5 million budget. We've gone from six staff to 26, um, which is really remarkable when you think about an eight-year process. And I have had to evolve in my ability to let my people fly and only jump in when it's absolutely necessary to be able to grab our organization's vision and create guardrails for our staff so that they know where is safe to operate and where they're starting to step outside the lines. And then also to just really um, stay connected to the work. So as you step away from that out-of-school environment where you're busy every single day helping kids, it can be very easy to lose touch and lose sight of the actual work. And so, for example, today at 1130, I'm going to be going over to Delaware to help serve lunch. I'm going to do that every Monday. I want to stay connected to the kids and families that we're serving as best I can. And so I try to be present um, to help our team when we're interacting with kids and families whenever I can.
0: Right. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense because in some ways, as you develop as a leader and your organization grows, you have to do more getting work done through others yeah. rather than doing the work yourself. Yep. And so it sounds like you've you've really empowered the team and yeah built them to a point
1: where they can make decisions and have some autonomy. I think that's right. I think that's really important. So one of the things that's been interesting about working remotely is that Uh, before when I was here at the Dream Center and I'd be working on a grant or working on something that was really urgent and someone would knock on my door and need something, there would be almost that voice of resentment in my mind, you know, like, I've got my own work to do. I don't want to get involved in whether the name tag should have titles on them or not. Just go figure it out for yourself. And now what's really cool is when I'm actually here, I'm not here to get specific work done. I'm here to support my team and check in on them, make sure they have everything they need, make sure that they don't have any questions for me. And that's really freeing because no longer am I feeling that sense of resentment. I'm feeling um, like I'm getting the opportunity to actually intentionally empower my team. That's awesome. Thank you.
0: If I remember correctly, you mentioned Gary Jossa, who was the Mm -hmm. founder. And were you the first executive director after Gary?
1: Yes. Yes. Um, I helped to successfully navigate Gary's transition out of being board president. He uh left the board president role and was a member of our board that first year I was on board. And, you know, um, it can be very difficult for founders to let go of what they've built. And so we were able to navigate a successful transition. And I think he his and my relationship is better today than it's ever been as a result of our hard work.
0: Mm-hmm. What were the, the secrets to success in terms
1: of that successful transition? I would say to any organization leader who is handling a founder transition, one of the most important things is to have allies, not only on a board of directors or on a staff, but really in the community. Um, the Welburn Baptist Foundation has been so good to our organization over the years, and they were really focused on making sure that that transition happened um, successfully. Um, and then I think prioritizing the relationship with the founder and really investing whenever you can. Gary is an idea builder. He's somebody who um, is constantly coming up with new ideas, and it's really a beautiful thing. He would admit, I think, that he's not so much – he doesn't find as much fulfillment and enjoyment of the maintaining part, and so he's kind of bouncing around quite a bit in terms of different ideas, which if you can harness that energy can be really helpful. Um, And so prioritizing that relationship and making sure that he understands that we we have the same priorities he does and that we're wanting the same success, even though we might be behaving a little bit differently, we're still – uh, charting after the same course that he charted 25 years ago has been really important. Great.
0: No, I th- I think as you mentioned that can be really challenging following a founder, but it's been really impressive to see the growth of the dream center over the years under your leadership. One of the one of the things I wanted to talk to you about too was about sort of that strategy for growth. You mentioned tripling the mm-hmm. annual budget, you mentioned almost Four or five times uh, bigger staff. How did you create that vision in terms of that growth, or as that growth started, did it just happen organically, or was there a, a strategy behind that? <laughs>
1: um, I I would say that uh, it was just. I often tell our staff that every single person, every single role we have on our team is a dream that came true, that we would say, oh, it'd be so helpful if we could get this person to come on board. And then we'd go make an ask and they'd say yes. Um, Or it'd be so great if we could take on this element of our work. And a funder would say, we want to expand what we're doing with you because we we like what you're talking about. We like the work. So no, I would not say there was like a, I would not say 2018, Jeremy was like, here's what we're going to be in 2023. It was more so People saying yes and people w- being willing to get on board both from a financial perspective and from an employment perspective, as you know, uh, which is very difficult as well. I will tell you that a great leader in Evansville named Jeff Whiteside who um, approached me back in fall 2020 and said, Jeremy, what would you do if I gave you $5 million? And um, that question was transformational for our organization I don't know if Jeff will ever hear this or not, but he hasn't given me $5 million yet. But what it did do for us is it allowed us to get on offense instead of playing defense, right? So fall of 2020, not very many organizations were thinking about their three-year plan, right? They were thinking about their three-week plan uh, because of all the chaos of COVID. And so that question empowered us to create a plan for uh, serving and reaching 30% of our neighborhood by the year 2030. And again, that offensive posture was just really helpful. Instead of what a lot of nonprofits do, which is, uh, are we circling the drain this month or not? Instead, it was, all right, how much ground can we take? And really also, what opportunities does the current environment make possible for us? Was a really fun and important and challenging question to ask.
0: Right. As a nonprofit, it's easy to operate from a scarcity mindset and say, how do we squeeze the most out of Mm -hmm. the dollars we already have? But- I think one of the things you've done really well in your role is to cast that vision and help people consider what's possible. Mm-hmm. And and often money is not the obstacle, it's the vision yeah. and then the perseverance to get to that
1: vision. That's right. That's right. It's, uh, <laughs> anytime somebody says they love what we do, I say, well, we work really hard. And that is, that is very true. This, we have a passionate team of dedicated people. And I want to give all the credit down to them. I'll tell you, two or three times a week, I'll get a text message from our team that says, Brandon didn't make it to school today. Can somebody go pick him up? And every single time, this team is leaning in and doing what needs to be done to help these kids be successful.
0: How have you increased funding then? I mean, you mentioned your your expenses are three times Mm -hmm. what they were
1: eight years ago. Grants has been a significant part of it. The state of Indiana, um, the government in general has been very f- uh, friendly with dollars related to COVID learning loss remediation, which happens to be work we're doing anyway. And so that's been really helpful. Our long term strategy is to increase our individual major giving bucket. We think that's the most important bucket of funding for our organization. Those are, it's interesting because. Those are uh, sort of seeds that you plant that you never really know. Um, and then when the $40,000 check appears, you think, all right, let me think back on the 19 different things I did to make that check happen, you know? When you send out a mail appeal and you get a $100 check, it's like, well, that's important and we need that kind of support. But it can be a little lonely out in individual major gift land, you know, wondering whether what you're saying is actually getting through and, and making the difference you need to make. And so when those checks come, we definitely take a, take a moment to stop and celebrate.
0: Mm-hmm. How would you describe the, the culture of the Dream Center, like especially the staff and
1: what you do to develop that? Yeah, our team gets along extremely well. Um, and when someone comes along that doesn't fit in that getting along extremely well, it sticks out very quickly. We uh, have five core values. I might be able to remember them all for you. Um, nurturing dignity, excellence, Christ-centered, um, life together, and there's one more. I'll be in trouble for not being able to remember it. Maybe, I'll, maybe it'll come to me. But the one that I focus on and put a lot of my energy into is, is life together. I the 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 sort of catchphrase that comes with that is celebrating enjoy and grieving and lament. There was a time where I was in a, a meeting of our wraparound care specialists and they were talking about some really difficult things that families were going through and they got emotional. And it occurred to me that that's one of my most important roles here is to make sure that our people are well taken care of. There was a news story maybe last year, maybe 18 months ago about a baby that had died in the neighborhood. Uh, Mom was addicted to drugs and fell asleep on the baby and the baby passed away. And I remember my first thought being, what if we had knocked on that door yesterday? And my second thought was, I want to be with my team to process how I'm feeling about this because they're all in just like I am. And they, they understand the work in ways that most people really don't. And so every staff meeting we have, I spend the first five minutes playing a game with the team. And I got kind of called out on that by a staff member who was wondering why we spent time on that. And I said, look, I just want to have fun for five minutes a week. Like all of us together having fun makes a difference. Um, And so we, because our team is so school focused, it can be really challenging to get time with them because they're either at school or they're here managing kids. And so we take great advantage of every single time that we're not in school. So for example, this Friday there's no school and we're going to be doing a event with a couple of other organizations where we're helping our team grow and develop. We have a lot of young people who work for us and we we've, what's been very cool is that we've been able to build a solid leadership pipeline where we have staff coming to us and saying, Hey, I see this position that's above where I'm at. Can I apply for that? And we always say, absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Here's where you need to grow and develop in order to be prepared for that. So I think that leadership pipeline is really important. That people see themselves as not just a cog in a machine, but part of an organization that is that is after something really, really big. I think it makes a big difference.
0: Right. And I want to point out, like when you talked about being with the team when when you had this this infant that died. I think those are critical moments where people remember mm-hmm. where the leader was yeah. and how they responded during those really difficult times and and often that's how you build that that rapport that that's lasting and if you think about like a uh, an organization and, and you walk in one of the uh, I'll have to often ask questions about you know what's this what's it like to work here and and I think the word that most describes like a a a healthy organizational culture is family. Mm -hmm. And so is it, you don't always get along. You sometimes struggle. You sometimes are challenged by one another. But like in the end, you're there for each other.
1: Yeah. Right now we're dealing with some issues related to some problems that are going on in society right now. And we've got some people on our team who are sort of both ways on the issue. And what I have said to our team is let's be countercultural, right? Like our culture wants us to separate over these issues. Our culture wants to get in the way of our life together. And what if instead we just processed it together and helped each other grow and develop and get smarter? And in so doing, have invested in one another and be countercultural. We're not going to let those sorts of things break apart what we're trying to do. It's like, um, you know, you might have a problem with your dad or your your sibling. And at the end of the day, you can either let that problem cancel the relationship or you can fight through it together. I, I heard a speaker once talking about the phrase agree to disagree and about the fact that that phrase agree to disagree has really torn down relationships. Because 50 years ago, when you had a, a complaint with, with a coworker or with a, a loved one, you had to fight through it. Like you had to find consensus with one another and get smarter as a result. Whereas in today's society, this idea of agreeing to disagree means we just go to our corners and we consume more content that affirms what we already think and nobody ever gets any smarter.
0: Right. I was, I was reading Matthew McConaughey's book recently. Oh, really. And he talked about how he was interacting with, I, I can't set up very well, but he was interacting with two, uh, two people from another culture. And they're having a conversation about something, and somebody had a, an opinion, and the other person had a different opinion. And then he agreed with one of the people, and they stopped him and they said, It's not about being right or wrong,
1: hmm. it's, it's about uh, understanding. Yeah. I pick on my little brother often, probably 20 years ago, eh, maybe 15 years ago now, he was working for a church. And he said to me, you know, Jeremy, I just don't understand why people get offended when you say Merry Christmas. Like, that just doesn't make any sense to me at all. And I said, okay, who have you asked about the, the answer to that question? He said, well, I've asked my pastor and the secretary at our church and some other Christians. And I said, well, why don't you ask somebody who's not a Christian for the answer to that question? And maybe you'll get smarter. Like, there was a time... I'm a, I fear that it's over. There's a time in our society where being really smart made a big difference. And I think today it's about the loudest voice instead of who's got the best ideas. And I think that's a problem
0: right. for our right. culture. Right, yeah. That hit home to me because everybody wants to win and be right or prove people wrong. But if if we had a mindset to seek understanding— uh,
1: that would, I, I think we would close a lot of those divides. I think, too, it's about identifying what's actually important. So it's, it's a great story about our principal at Delaware, Julie. Uh, Delaware had beaten Lincoln in basketball on a certain day. And I got on my Facebook, social media, and posted, Delaware just be Lincoln's basketball team. Take that, Lincoln. And got a text pretty quickly from Julie that said, Hey, we don't really want to start a rivalry with Lincoln. Would you please alter your your post so that it doesn't um offend them? And my 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 gut reaction to that is, who are you to tell me what I should do? And and that gut reaction is that anger, right? Or that frustration that comes out in the moment. But then I just started thinking maybe she's just right and no one cares and I should just get over it. Um, That like moment, that epiphany moment where you're willing to say, oh, I'm wrong. (laughs) I'm just going to fix it uh, has become like the antithesis of our culture today. Whereas in fact, nobody cared. And like all I had to do was swallow my pride and go on with my life and I'm better for it. I'm better for it. So we've got to cultivate that. Right.
0: And I think as a leader, we, we can set the example. And that it's, it's sometimes hard as a leader to be vulnerable and admit that we were wrong and to say, I screwed up. But if we're able to do that, we're going to be much more respected and we're going to be stronger and we're going to have the people around us supporting us. That's right.
1: That's right. I, there was a time recently where we were having, staff was having a conversation over text message and we were kind of joking around about something that we probably shouldn't have been. And one of our staff members kind of came across and said, hey, this isn't appropriate. Um, we need to shut this conversation down. And I remember thinking, uh, uh, this was a a younger gentleman who works for us. And I remember thinking, well, he's right, but the method he's communicating with is totally distracting everybody from the fact that he's right. And so I kind of shut the conversation down and then got to have that interaction later and say, hey, you were right. Let's talk about how you communicated because I think people didn't notice you were right as much as they needed to. So it's it's a lot about communication channels, but I think at the end of the day, it's about a desire to develop. Like to become smarter, to become better, um, to become more effective.
0: Right, exactly. No, great, great conversation about that. Thank you. One of the areas I want to talk about in Evansville is uh, there was a recent announcement. We're we're recording this in in early May, um, but. What was it, about a month ago, we announced Evansville received a $30 million Promise Neighborhood Grant Mm -hmm. as a federal grant through the Department of Education, focusing on improving cradle-to-career outcomes in um, some of those neighborhoods most in need. And and Jeremy, you you really played a, a, a key role kind of as a catalyst moving this forward. And I'd love for you to just talk about that experience and How you got involved and how you thought this was something that we really could accomplish in in the community.
1: Yeah, so um, when I came on board the Dream Center in 2015, that was right before Evansville received its Promise Zone designation. And the Promise Zone was a program dreamed up by a then-candidate, President Obama, who was watching the Harlem Children's Zone and seeing the amazing results that they were achieving and said, we got to replicate this around the country. And so Promise Zone was born. And you had a whole bunch of Promise Zones that didn't have any money at all to do any of that amazing work that needed to be done. And so that's where Promise Neighborhoods Grant um, appeared. We have, as a community, applied four times um, over the course of the last 13 years. Um, I was very tangentially involved in 2017 when the grant was uh, written. And then in 2020, I remember the day, clear as day, Amy Bullock had contacted me and said, you need to watch this webinar that the federal government's putting on. And it was about a grant program called Choice Neighborhoods that I just wasn't really interested in. But I decided to go ahead and tune in anyway. And the very first thing they said at the beginning of the webinar was, oh, yeah, there's a typo. It's not Choice Neighborhoods. It's Promise Neighborhoods. This is fall of 2020. I'm very familiar with the grant. have studied it, have studied applications of other organizations that have won. And so contacted Amy, said, let's get to work. And so we contacted our friends at University of Evansville, started to build some collaboration and partnership there. Sylvia DeVault and Aaron Lewis, who are amazing Um, then uh, connected with a few key strategic nonprofits around Evansville. And then Inauguration Day 2021, the grant dropped. And um, one of the things that's really interesting about the grant that they don't talk about a lot is that you only have six weeks to write it. And as you know, because of your work on the grant this last year, it's actually kind of hard to figure out how you're going to spend $30 million over six weeks. And so we had a collaboration of 28 partners in 2021, where that we got across the finish line. They actually extended the deadline um, by six weeks, which was not good. We were not excited. And then in August of 2021, we found out that we did not win the grant. Um, very difficult uh, moment. I remember driving through the neighborhood thinking about the opportunities that our kids were going to miss out on because we weren't good enough or we didn't deserve the grant. And so got together with the Department of Education later that year. Um, we had scored something like an 85 out of 108 and said, to, hey, 85 is pretty good, right? And they said, no, there were like four organizations that scored within a quarter of a point of winning. So you're not really close, and so we knew the grant was going to come back open again. We got back together with our partners at the Evansville Vanderburgh School Corporation and said, "Hey, we need you guys all in on this. We want more leadership. We want more directed leadership." And that's how we got to working with Derek and and uh, Kelsey and Kim from EVSC um, in twenty twenty. I want to say in twenty twenty two summer of twenty twenty two, the grant came open again, and we probably sent it off in August. Um, and uh, found out in January that we had, again, not won the grant. However, uh, when they sent our scores, uh, we had scored perfectly in the first round, and then uh, 103 out of 108 in the second round. And so we're a little confused. We got together with the department and said, what does this mean? And they said, well, you're in the hunt. Um, for the first time ever, they had had like six organizations score perfectly. Um, it had to do a second round of review, review. And they told us they were going to be funding down the slate this year. Uh, which means they're going to give funds to the highest scoring applicants in the previous year that didn't win. And we were selected as one of three this year in 2023 to receive the grant. And we found out about four weeks. We found out officially about four weeks ago, and it has been a whirlwind ever since. Um, I think for me, my role in the grant um, was much bigger in 2021 than it was in 22. And part of the reason is because Amy and I had the foresight to hire you, Tad, (laughs) to project manage the grant for us. And you did a phenomenal job. We needed that leadership for sure. I've just kind of been, when people would say, you'll never win it. I've just never been able to stomach that. I've never, I've, I've always said, no, we're going to keep trying. We're going to keep fighting because this is work that our community needs. And so like when the accolades have come for me, like I'm a, pre- I, am I'm. I. that's, it's great, but I, I don't, you know, I don't always resonate with it. I think I'm always, cause I'm always trying to be better. You know, um, there've been some moments where I've kind of sat back and relaxed and said, all right, this is, this is pretty good. But again, we've not arrived. Um, we're uh, a community among probably 25 or so now that has a promised Neighborhoods grant. And now I want to compete with them and see if we can't show them a thing or two about how this work ought to be done. So never giving up, constantly pushing forward, constantly continue, trying to get the train moving down the tracks, right? What do we need to do next, what do we need to do next. That's really all it is. It's a uh, stubbornness more than anything else.
0: Right. I, I just think as I, as we worked on that grant, big kudos to you because nice. you kept- you pe- kept people going. And and one of the things that I think you did that exemplifies good leadership was like, there are moments I know where we get frustrated or discouraged or people are just like,
1: I've had enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm,
0: I'm tired. I, I've, I've, yeah, I've had enough. And, and you would always talk about the vision, like mm-hmm. just think about the people that were helping and think about like the why behind this and what is our why? And instead, uh, I think it's easy, like, when you're in the trenches to focus on the what and how are we going to get it done and 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 we forget about the why. Like, why does this really matter?
1: Because of the people mm-hmm. that we're going to be able to make an amazing difference in our lives. I mean, that's what it really all boils down to is coming alongside people who have beautiful strengths that are masked by the struggles that they're facing and saying, let's get all that great stuff and pull it to the surface. That, that. The, it's it's not too hard when you hang around kids to see the amazing potential and promise that they have. And you're a dad. I'm a dad too. And I've I've said all along I want all these kids to have the same opportunities Lucy Ellie and Ben have, um, because they are mine, and I'm going to make sure they get across the finish line. Same thing we say about Dream Center kids and now Promise Neighborhood kids as well.
0: Yeah, I th- I think you did a great job just of reminding people, you know, why we're doing it. It's not this. a rehearsal.
1: This is not a rehearsal. Yeah.
0: So we're very excited to see that grant Absolutely. roll out, and there are still probably more questions than mm-hmm. answers in terms of when and what it will look like exactly. And
1: What I would say to my partners in the nonprofit space and also to the people of Evansville who this grant will potentially impact is uh, the federal government is not on our schedule. We are on the federal government's schedule, and so it's going to be slow. It's going to take time, but I truly believe we'll see a lasting difference by the end of year five of the, of the grant.
0: What, what are you most proud of as a leader?
1: I'm very proud of my team. Um, I think that the people who do this work day in and day out are absolute champions who have caught a vision and are running with it in amazing ways. That It's interesting because there are many people on my team who are way smarter than me, who will go on to do much more amazing things than I will ever do. And as a leader – you know, we can sometimes be tempted to put people around us who help us feel good or help us to feel like we know what we're doing. But I'm kind of just the opposite. I want people who to, who will share ideas with me or tell me things that they're working on. And I'll be like, hope you're not expecting anything from me on that because I have no idea what you're up to, but it sounds really good and, and go after it and I'll help you with what you need to make it happen. So I'm very, very proud of the team that we've put together here at the Dream Center. Our um, retention rate has been really strong because people genuinely love the work that we do.
0: Mm-hmm. How do you balance a demanding job
1: and, you know, family, children? What does that look like? Yeah. So Andy Stanley, who's a pastor that I respect and admire quite a bit, uh, early on in his ministry decided that um, he was going to build a ministry that was only as good as 45 hours I could maintain. Um, and so uh, I I don't disconnect from the work when I'm not here um, because there's, you're constantly processing ideas, constantly coming up with new ways to change and develop. And I've just sort of embraced that. There's a lot of people who say, I'm going to turn my phone off at 5 and, and not pay any attention to work. And I, I think my work is such a part of me that that I would say, I don't want to do that. I want to be growing and developing in those hours just the same as I do anywhere else. And so mixing, you know, I'm going to be at every swim meet. I'm going to be at every doctor's appointment. I'm going to do all the good dad things. But at the same time, while I'm there and there's nothing going on, I'm constantly processing, constantly challenging, constantly thinking about how we can grow and develop. Mm -hmm. And
0: that's, I think, a major challenge as a leader, because when you have work that you're passionate about Mm -hmm. and it's fun, it's fun. And I feel very fortunate to be in this current role and to be in other roles where I've just, I love the work Mm -hmm. and it's as As much fun as a vacation in some ways. And it can
1: take it out of you silently, right? Mm -hmm. Or or sort of by mistake, it can take it out of you. I took a a one-month sabbatical last year and have really focused on my mental and physical health. You're just trying to make everything better, right? You're just trying to shore everything up. And so doing whatever I can to process challenges and uh, physical exercise is very important to me as a leader. I think- it's where I go to be bored almost, but also to process all the challenging things. And I always step away from that feeling an awful lot better about whatever the challenges are. So um, really focusing on working on physical and mental health has been an important discipline for me.
0: Right. I, I see that influence of like my physical health on my mental mm-hmm. health and just my overall cognitive ability. I'm I'm much sharper and more collected in terms of my thoughts and articulate when I'm physically feeling good and and in shape. So absolutely. Awesome.
1: Well, what are you excited about right now? Well, very excited about the Promise Neighborhoods Grant, of course. Um, Dream Center, uh, over the course of the past two years, has built a coaching platform. Um, We believe that because of all the mistakes we've made over the past five years, we can really help organizations not fall into those same traps. And so we're working um, with a number of potential clients on bringing them on board to do coaching. We believe that um, there's potentially a regional demand for that coaching effort as people start to think about relief-based programming differently. You know, there was a time when out-of-school programs astonished the culture, and that time is gone. Um, They're very— uh, it's very much like the first thing or two you think of when you're trying to help kids, right? And so, helping those organizations that have maybe built um, some success in the after school space say, All right, you got to that now. Here's how you got to leverage that. Here's how you got to leverage those relationships to help families actually make it down the field is really, really exciting. I am excited about the development that has come to our neighborhood over the course of the past five years. The Deaconess Aquatic Center is absolutely an amazing amenity. Um, the North Main Complete Street is amazing. The Forge down at the other end of North Main Street. All very exciting. What I want to see is those things start to spread into the neighborhood, right? So start to see housing values rise, start to see more business development in the neighborhood where you're creating sort of a a draw for people to come want to be here in Jacobsville. Um, That's really an exciting opportunity as well. Um, I would say also uh, starting to think about the housing space and starting to think about how we can make our neighborhood better by investing, um, doing potentially property acquisition type work is very exciting as well.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So a lot lot going on a lot in the future <laughs> at the <laughs> Dream sure. Center. Absolutely. Well, how can people find out
1: about you or find out about the Dream Center in Evansville? Yeah, so dreamcenterevansville.org is our very long website address where you can find out more about what we're doing at any given moment. We have just recently created a blog called With Us um, where we're inviting vo- potential volunteers and donors to come on a journey with us where we start to tell the stories of the amazing work that we're doing in kids' and families' lives. We have a, a pretty active Facebook page on social we're always looking for volunteers and donors. If people are interested in learning more about the work, they can check us out on our website. All right. Well, thank you thank for you, being Dad. with it's us. It's a lot of fun. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah.
0: It was great interviewing you, Jeremy Evans, you. Uh, Executive Director of the Dream Center. And uh, thank you to all of our listeners. We encourage you to uh, like, to rate this podcast, to share with your network, and help spread the, the good news of, uh, of the importance of leadership and strategy. So, Thank you for joining us. To learn more about Dr. Tad Dickel and the T.A. Dickel Group, please visit tadickel.com.
1: Thank you for joining us.